Welcome to the aggressive life. Sometimes I've got guests on here, Dirt, that uh, we get to do via Zoom, and that's all good. You know, you can. It's fun sometimes. It is. You can get somebody like anywhere around. It's right. kind of cool. And then sometimes I get the people ha- get to have people live in the studio, um. and that's always better. And it's always somebody then who's local to Cincinnati. That's right. Right. And this yeah. isn't because that's where I am. This isn't a Cincinnati podcast. I.e., it probably actually is the most listened to podcast in all of Cincinnati. I don't think there's a even a second one, yeah. one even close second. Yeah. But uh, it's kind of a, well, it's called the aggressive life, but we're also worried about the spiritual life and all that sort of thing. So we have someone from Cincinnati. It's not because it's a Cincinnati thing. It's because there's somebody in Cincinnati that relates to the aggressive life I want to help you with. And today, that guy's Jeff Birding. He bleeds Cincinnati. Growing up, his favorite team was the Big Red Machine, the Cincinnati Reds of the 1970s. But when he had kids, their favorite team was Manchester United all the way across the ocean in England. Jeff wanted a hometown team for the fastest growing sport in America, so he went out and started one. Jeff is the co-CEO of FC Cincinnati, now in its fifth season of Major League Soccer. The team is taking off like a rocket. Much of their success comes from the behind-the-scenes aggression of the man sitting across from me right now. Things like daring to dream up a soccer franchise for a city that already had two major league sports teams. Things like going door-to-door in the West End neighborhood where the new TQL stadium was built, garnering support from the longtime residents and, and actually soothing their fears. Aggressive things like leaving the comfortable executive suites of the Cincinnati Bengals after almost 20 years to put it all on the line for the dream of an MLS team. Things like moving at breakneck speed, getting the bid from the MLS. The team launched in less than a year, Most franchises take three to four years. Jeff Birding is an aggressive man that knows what it takes to go pro. He's going to share all his wisdom with us today. Welcome to the aggressive life, Jeff Birding! And I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Brian. (laughs) Uh, It's good to have you here. We also didn't mention Cincinnati council person at one point. I'm a recovering politician. I know. Does it? When you look at politicians now, do you go, certainly I wasn't that bad? All the time. You do? For sure. <laughs> do you think you were that bad or you think they've actually gotten worse? No, I think I wasn't that bad, which is why I got out of politics. <laughs> I think there's a special calling for many of them that I just wasn't willing to endure. You special calling like? Special calling to have a starter job the rest of your life. Well, you know, Roxanne Qualls Qualls told me, keep your day job. It liberates you to do the right thing and never feel pressure because you need to pay the rent or pay your mortgage. Uh, There you go. And I had had my executive job at the Bengals the whole time, full-time job at the Bengals. I never felt pressure from lobbyists or special interests to do what their their bidding was because I'm just going to do the right thing. And if I lose an election, I have a full-time job. I can take care of my family. Oh, you were at the Bengals before you were a Cincinnati City Council. I was. Interesting. So I had both jobs for six years. It would be fascinating if we could reconfigure American politics to where, A, there was either term limits, so you were in and you're out, and you had to live by the stuff that you had. I'm talking about specifically the Senate, you know, which is, you know, the most entitled you know, hospice care in the country. <laughs> you know, people who their their best form of Technology is the catheter, you know, these people just around forever and ever and ever and ever. Or this idea I read in the Wall Street Journal a few months ago, this idea of just total random elections, like for Senate, just get 100 random people, stick them in there for one term, probably better off. I don't know. It's pretty broken. It is broken. Anyway, I'm not here to talk about politics. That's like like the least interesting thing for me. As I thought about this, we want to get into some of the classic things that someone would ask an executive with with the MLS, things like, um, well, I'll just do one, but then we're going to move off of this. You you mentioned that your kids were into Manchester United. I've been predicting the demise of American baseball forever. I played baseball. Did you play baseball? Of course I did. I wanted to be a Cincinnati run. Nobody does anymore, right? Is it, I don't know any kids. that I'm sure there are some, but like it was... Every kid in America played, or 90% of them. 100%. I mean, America's pastime, and all the kids played. And now many many of those kids are playing soccer. Uh, It's quicker. It's easier. um, Less expensive. 
uh, in terms of equipment. You don't have to go out and get gloves. And yep. um, it's it's the world's most uh, popular sport. There's more people playing soccer on this planet than every other sport combined. Wow. Think about cricket and you know basketball and all this combined. Wow. So. Um, Look, I, I, I think that um, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'm a season ticket holder of the Reds. I'm excited about how they're doing this year. But the data says that soccer has certainly gone up the uh, the cultural uh, sports totem pole uh, in a way that certainly challenges uh, baseball. And over time, if, if soccer is the most popular sport in the world, it's not in the United States, but it's certainly the data would say it's, it, it's catching up with basketball and football and it's right there with baseball i would offer it's past hockey well we're definitely on the same page as far as we all want cincinnati sports teams to to thrive all of them and it's awesome seeing what's happening with the reds this year full stadiums and the whole thing it's great and it's a wonderful respite i've been saying for forever that baseball has to die because kids don't understand the game they don't play the game i've always i've been saying for a long long time soccer is going to dominate and I, but I haven't seen soccer dominate in the States, but in Cincinnati here with, with FC Cincinnati, you're starting to see for the first time that excitement that comes on a city. You've done a great job there. Well, thank you. We When we um, created FC Cincinnati, the first things I wrote on my legal pad was to create a relevant sports brand. And I thought a relevant sports brand would be a winning team, a family-friendly, inclusive club, and a franchise that makes the community better, that's committed to giving back. Not taking from the community, but giving to the community. Yeah. And we did that quite well right out of the gate With uh, as a minor league team. We were the New York Yankees of minor league soccer. We were drawing 20000 30000 as a minor league team, selling uh, millions of dollars of merchandise. You know, the fact we became relevant pretty quickly. Yep. And you are correct, Brian, that when we travel to some other markets, big cities in America, the uh, the Major League Soccer team does struggle uh, to find its relevance in oftentimes in those bigger markets. What's a more competitive sports landscape with NBA teams and NHL teams and the like? Yeah, it's really pretty impressive that a small market like Cincinnati you're showing that it can handle three major league teams. Uh, I well, that was my bet. Yeah. That was my bet. I had a bet with uh, someone I'm not going to name here. Oh, come uh, on. It's uh, the aggressive life. Give us names. Come on. Come um, on. I'll just Jeff, say, Jeff, when I was at Jeff. the Bengals, when I was at the Bengals. Mike Brown. That's there, my there, guess. No, not Mike. But there was a debate. Katie Blackledge. There, there was, a, there was a, a debate on whether or not Cincinnati was Marvin big Lewis. enough for come on, three you're not getting, major you're not getting, league teams. You're not getting off the hook here. Well, Marvin gave me, Marvin, when I told Marvin I was leaving to start a a soccer team. He said, you're leaving the NFL oh. to start a major league soccer team. And I said, I'm leaving the Bengals to start a minor league soccer team. And he was like, you're kidding me. Wow, yeah. You're going to go do that. Wow. But now he's one of our biggest fans. Yeah. All right. So anyway, quote who you were going to quote. Just whether or not Cincinnati was big enough for three major league teams. And I'm a, I'm a Cincinnati homer. I believe in this city. Carl Linder and I believed in Cincinnati. And we thought Cincinnati had what it took with our business community and the number of kids playing soccer and all the young professionals, international growth in this city. Uh, we, we thought there was a sweet spot there that people were ready for something new and different in our sports culture. And um, we, we bet on that. And, again, I wanted my kids to have a, a team that they were passionate for the way I was, the Big Red Machine, and the sport that they loved. And – you know, this was a legacy investment that Carl and I and our partners were willing to make. I've been watching you and FC Cincinnati very closely from afar. I'm not a big soccer fan. I, I, I'm obviously cheering for FC Cincinnati. I've only been to one game, and it was an amazing game, an amazing experience. But I've been following it very, very closely because I'm a fan of Cincinnati. And I personally have known you. And I personally know Carl Linder. For those of us who aren't in Cincinnati, uh, the Linder family is sort of the, um, oh gosh, I don't know what to say. Just call them the, the tall steeple family of, of the city. The family that has historically had a lot of wealth and has poured a lot of wealth into the city. Whether it's buying Chiquita Banana and bringing another Fortune 100 corporation to Cincinnati for a while or 
buying the Reds or whatever it is. Um, you know, some supporting a lot of churches, supporting a lot, yeah, supporting a supporting schools, a lot, schools, on and on and on and on. Uh, I'll call him the original Carl Linder, uh, who's actually Carl Linder Jr., but he's actually senior, high school dropout, gets into the milk business and just. Climbs, 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 just becomes unbelievably man. And then he has three sons, and his oldest son, Carl the third, is who partner. you're referring to. It's pretty, pretty, pretty impressive. So watching they, they've, you, they've led an aggressive life. Yeah, they have. They really have. They're the kind of people, if you talk to them, they don't come off as aggressive because a lot of us think aggressive is loud, precocious, just doing insane things. But man, they uh, ambitious. Yeah, they push. For Cincinnati. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they keep pushing. So as much as I'm cheering for MLS in F FC Cincinnati, I've mostly been watching you and going, man, wow, this is, you know, the aggressive life is a really good thing in theory. Who doesn't want to be known as aggressive versus passive? But when you come up to the line of making the choice, it's very difficult. And I keep putting myself in your situation. You're in the most dominant sport in the land in a front office job, high degree of predictability, high degree of comfort, high degree of respect. And then you take a flyer on this. What? Why would you do that? Like, what's the... What's the thought process? When when do you start to get a vision for something different? What's the steps? Just talk around that and I'll ask you some different questions. Sure. I grew up here on the west side of Cincinnati, large family, 10 kids, Catholic family, played sports, was a very good student, got good grades. Um, I had teachers and a football coach at um, St. Catharines that pushed me to go to St. X High School. All my buddies mostly went to LaSalle great GCL school, but I went to St. X. The Jesuits, that men for others mantra, um, that we have a purpose in men our life. Men for others. That's the mantra? Yes. Men the, for others. Men for others. Yeah. Servant Absolutely. leaders. Yeah. Servant leaders uh, that were here, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. And I'm sharing that to answer your question because since my days at St. X. And I wasn't a leader at St. X. I, I, I was, you know, a good student. I worked hard. I was an athlete, um, not the best, but a, a good athlete. Um, but that mantra of men for others sort of became my, my calling. I felt it. I felt an internal calling. And when I got to Miami University, um, first birding to go to college, graduate from college, um, again, not my family prediction, but it was a part of my calling. First I one to graduate from college. First birding. Okay, interesting. So even my there, family. here you are doing firsts. You're stepping out from people. So you got a history of stepping out from what the masses are doing. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I found my leadership voice at Miami University. I was an RA. I ran for student government. I won sort of became a leader on campus, was the president of the Ohio Students Association. So I found my leadership voice. And the reason why I'm giving you this by way of background is to all the way back when I was in grade school, seventh and eighth grade, and then the decision to go to St. X, I did feel a calling. I wasn't sure what it was. I want to be clear. I wasn't sure what it was. Maybe I wanted to be a, um, in, uh, a diplomat for our country. Maybe I wanted to run for the United States Senate someday. But I did feel a calling. And the reason why I'm giving you that is I had a very nice job at the Bengals. But um, I served on city council and with Mike Brown's uh, wonderful support. So I had a full-time job at the Bengals, but I was on city council. And the reason I ran for city council is because of my calling. I, f I felt while I enjoyed my job and I was passionate about my job, it wasn't my purpose. It was not my purpose. My purpose, there was something more about being a, a, a servant leader. And so then I decided politics wasn't what I really wanted to do. That wasn't really my calling. Um, and so I came back. I joined the board of my kids' youth soccer club. I became the president of the board. I then merged with another club. So we became a, one of the bigger clubs in Cincinnati. And then I started thinking about creating Cincinnati's third major league team. And I wrote a business plan. 
And Carl Linder called me after a few months of me scuttling around town trying to find a place to play our games. We ended up at UC with the AD, with Santa Ono. Yeah. Carl, Carl called me in January of 15 said, hey, um, I'd like to own, the, uh, be your partner. Can I own, can I be your, the owner? And, and this was after you were already going for oh, a while. Oh, yeah. But interesting. Okay. Yeah. And um, so he asked me to come over for lunch that day. Um, he shared that UC Nippert Stadium was going to be the host of the, of the games. And he wanted to know if, if he could be my partner. And so then we sort of went from there. Fast forward, because this is going to be the moment. Yeah. Fast forward, May, so that was January, May, Carl and I go up to New York City to see Don Garber, commissioner of Major League Soccer, because we wanted to know. We had a good plan to be a minor league team. We had our ideas of what it would take to transition into Major League Soccer. But we wanted to know, could Cincinnati get the bid? Is Cincinnati on the map? Is Cincinnati prohibited, maybe because of the Columbus Crews up the road 100 miles? And we heard what we needed to hear. Carl and I went to dinner, and he said to me at dinner, Jeff, we heard what we needed to hear. My family and I are going to be all in on one condition you have to be all in. You have to lead the Bengals and run the team. It's your business plan. You know sports, sports business. You know the politics, civic leadership here in town. You got to be the guy to run it. Up to that time, I knew I was going to be an owner and I knew I was going to help make it happen. I didn't think I was going to be the full-time guy. I thought maybe Carl had one of, whether one of his kids or one of his lieutenants would do it. And in that moment, I had to decide how much did I want this to happen and I fell back on what literally in this dinner, I felt this inner peace of this is my purpose. I'm going to make the city better. I'm going to serve the community through the creation and running the soccer team. Hmm. That's my purpose. And so ever since I've been at peace, not that it's been easy, but I have felt strongly aligned with my purpose is to be a leader in this community where I have the mantle of leadership in this soccer team. But the, the soccer team is our vehicle to make the community better. It, it, it's not the soccer team for the soccer team. It's the soccer team for the city and creating an environment where the city's for the team. Yeah. Because we represent proudly the best of what our city, our community is all about. So when you started, you merged the two local clubs, you started, you know, getting this basically minor league soccer going. You were doing that while you were still working for the Bengals. Yes. And how Just long- Just in a volunteer capacity. In a volunteer. How long were you doing that before Carl stepped in? So between 2012, I joined the board for the first time. I left city council in 11, joined the board in 12, and- Really started with the board, the board of the Hammer uh, Soccer Club, okay, just a, okay. a, a select soccer club okay. on the east side. The more clubs you have, the more people are being paid, the more people are in paid, the more fees there are. And that makes it un inaccessible to a lot of a, a, a lot of kids. Hmm. And then in addition, the best players are never going to get better because the talent level is sort of watered down. And you, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Bring you, it in the Bible. Come you, on you, now, you, Jeff. You, you want you want the best to compete against the best because that that's that drives you, propels you to greater goals. Hmm. And so my point is, in this case, my son and my daughter, they were on they were the best players on teams. I wanted them to be with other really great players to push them, and I thought that that was the right approach. So anyway, we formed a a, a, a merged organization with uh, King Soccer Academy in Northern Kentucky became King's Hammer, and I became the president of the board. So that took about two years. So in twenty. 14, I started working on a business plan to take it to the next level and create a minor league team with a pathway to be the major league team. Always the goal being major league soccer. Did this start for 2012, like when you were on the board for the Hammer? So 2012, you started doing that because you won a major league in Cincinnati, or did that come a little bit later in your mind? Came a little bit later. Okay. For, I had to do the one thing to yeah. be able to do the other. So it was a step-by-step. That's really interesting. Let's, let's camp out there for a little, little long before we go further. I, I meet people who all the time, they, they want to know what their purpose is. What's my purpose? What's my purpose? I mean, you was, you know, a man for others or men for others. Uh, what does that mean? And sometimes we just get paralyzed on finding like the ultimate massive purpose. Like if, if your ultimate massive purpose in life was to bring Major League Soccer to Cincinnati, that, that's awesome. 
most of us are never going to have that ability to have that impact. But what we can all learn from you is you started in a thing, you know, sometimes we don't get the bigger vision until we're faithful in the smaller thing. Have you reflected on that much at all? Sure. Um, I've run a few marathons and um, I always, and when people think that that's impossible, I'm not a gifted runner. I didn't run cross country. Um, I say, I start the first mile. You, you run a marathon a mile at a time, step by step. And, I, and if, you re, if you reduce your goals to sort of bite-sized manageable pieces or you have a goal that in your heart knows – because I think your heart knows what you're, what's right, what your intentions are. I think the mind sometimes gets in the way, but I think the heart yeah. is, is where you're centered. And if you feel like this is um, a good step on your journey, the journey is the blessing. Yeah. The journey is the most adventurous part. And there are going to be setbacks and there are going to be challenges. And sometimes it's like a maze and you're going to go and it's a dead end and you got to turn around and go back. But if you approach, in my opinion, if you're searching for your purpose, it means that there's a purpose for you that, to be found. And then you get on the journey. And that's the most exciting part. And for me, I had this view that I was in a position of leadership. I was no longer a politician, but I was in a position of leadership to make the Cincinnati soccer community better in the sport my kids loved, which is a volunteer dad. But I had some ability, and I was going to try to make the Cincinnati soccer community better and lift it up and be this rising tide. And then as I got to be successful in that role – then I'm looking up the river, up the up the up the state, uh, the highway, the Columbus Crew, and I'm I'm at the Bengals, and I'm looking at all this NFL data that says that the NFL is the king of the uh, sports. Uh, they're at the top of the totem pole, right? Yeah, they're the 800 pound gorilla. That's why they're that's why they're bullies. And and they're sharing the data so that we at the Bengals can tell everyone, give us all your money, buy sponsorships, suites, whatever. But if you peel the onion back a couple layers, what I saw is in 2004, soccer wasn't even in uh, the, the, the conversation. Soccer was not one of the top 10 sports in America in 2004. Women's figure skating was number 10. Hmm. Number 10. Obviously, Women's NFL, figure skating was, a, was ahead of the MLS in 2004? W- w- yes. Wow. Okay, in 2004. And the NFL, of course, was number one. Of course. But in 2014, soccer, professional soccer, not just MLS, because you're talking about the men's and women's national teams, and people are watching the English Premier League and others, like my kids. But professional soccer was fourth in 10 years. Wow. A, a decade is not a long time. Wow. Soccer had gone from not in the top 10 to fourth. And so then I started looking, how many kids are playing soccer in this area? What have the numbers been over the last 20 years? Because some of those former soccer players are still living in town. Maybe now they have kids of their own. Or maybe they're working at Procter & Gamble or they're working at Kroger, American Financial. You get the point. And now they have a little bit of disposable income. And so if if there was a professional team here in town, there's been this generation – of people that have played soccer and are comfortable with it, familiar with it. And all the data showed me that when I looked at Cincinnati compared to Kansas City, which had a team, similar size market, they have an NFL team, they have a Major League Baseball team, they had a Major League Soccer team, oh, they had a great yeah, stadium, right. and they were successful. And I, and I saw nothing in the data that said that Kansas City had something that we didn't have. In fact, our business community is deeper, bigger, um, and um, the number of kids playing soccer here is more than what I saw in Kansas City. And for those reasons, I thought, I can, we can do this in Cincinnati. Cincinnati can do this. And that's why I wrote the business plan. That's, man, that's, that's really helpful. When the Lindner family comes along with their, not everyone in the family is obviously engaged, but just called the block of them, the three brothers and whoever else on their dad line, three, three brothers, three sons of, the original Carl Linder. Does that, did that, and Carl said, you got to be in or out. I'm not sure if that makes me feel more at ease because now I've got someone who has Jack who's at my back or if that makes me feel more nervous because now is when I got to step over the line in uncertainty. Wh- which was it for you? What was your emotions going around in that? Yeah, um, my kids only knew their dad as the guy that works for the Bengals. 
executive at the Bengals, and they loved it. I mean, we're huge Bengals fans, of course. It was a blessing. And so and it was, everything you described it earlier, it was comfortable. Um, there was security there. Yeah. Um, Respect. Sure. NFL. I mean, it's the yeah, NFL. Yeah, right. The, right. But um, I, I will offer – so the, there's no question Carl's challenge to me in that moment w- required a leap of faith. But I'm going to be crystal clear. I was confident, confident we were going to be successful. Hmm. I, I had no doubt. I, if you think about your faith, people with deep, deep faith have no doubt about God and, 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 and the power of prayer that faith, and I'm just sharing with you, and, and, and not to equate it to God, but I had that same certainty, that same certainty that this was going to work. I, I was so when Carl put the challenge to me, I didn't have fear, but I I, I describe it as a leap of faith. But I had faith that Carl and I were going to do this. I just didn't know he wanted me to be the guy that was day to day running it. Right. But I I had no fear. Hmm. No fear at all. Mm-hmm. It was just a change. Wow. Yeah. And I had to wrap my head around, for, again, for my kids and that this was this, w- w- you know, I was going to go in a pivot in a different direction. But but I had peace because of my faith. And I, I think people, again, who have deep faith in, in God or in, in their religious beliefs can understand that it is literally it was that clear yeah. to me, like like an epiphany. I saw – I'm just – I can only describe it this way. I saw yeah. the future hmm. and what has happened to FC Cincinnati. Maybe not a global pandemic and maybe not three – the quick transition to lead that caused three years of losing. But the success, where we are today, what we experienced in minor leagues in uh, our first three years, I, I, I can only offer I, – I did see that. that that's – that's impressive. You, you're running the team. Carl's your partner, so you have an equity stake in the team as well. Yes. And did that make it easier for you to make the decision, or it didn't matter because you had well, you, you, you felt you had faith. You said you had a literal epiphany, and your faith was propelling you that way. Yeah, I, I would just offer it this way. Um, I was very blessed at the Bengals um, by Mike and and the family and Marvin Lewis. I learned a ton there. I learned a ton, and not just on the business side, but also on the sporting side. Not that I had, I had zero responsibility, but I was interested. I had, a, I have a curious mind, and I asked a lot of questions, and I want to understand why we did things the way we did things. And people were very generous to me in allowing me to learn. And so, in that regard, when I was starting FC Cincinnati, I was borrowing from all of my learnings. Some of the things that I wanted to do similarly, some of the things I wanted to do better, some of the things I wanted to do differently. But at the end of the day, I had almost 20 years of learning. And, and I, I was inspired to be the leader with Carl's support of my own franchise. Hmm. That's good. And it was exciting. I, I, I'm reflecting on... Data. That's pretty crazy that MLS was behind Peggy Fleming, Dorothy Hamill, whoever the, whoever the more recent uh, women's skating stars are, and then rockets up behind the big three. I don't even know how big the NHL is because, again, back to children. I mean, I, I used to play some ice hockey every once in a while on a pond in Pittsburgh when I got cold enough, but like nobody does that in America. There's just going to be a cap on it. But you said data. Mm-hmm. Data. I'm struggling with that right now. I've got some things that are uh, very stressful, some really big, big projects. And when you said data, I, I thought, hmm. Am I going to get peace for these projects by the X factor of an epiphany? How much is that or how much is the data? I think that's where it's tough, right? If I I had like pristine data, like these projects are going to increase attendance, increase giving, increase whatever by this, you know, it, it would be different. But, you know... I don't have data on these things. There's a level of faith and a level of data. I'm just processing with you. Speak anything you yeah. want into it. 
there's I don't think in life we can ever truly eliminate risk. And I, I don't think we should make our decisions based on some belief that we're making a risk-free decision. There's always going to be risk. I I I try to we we try to be um um fan and brand centric and data driven. So the data gives you more than just your hunch, your intuition, your based on experience what you think is the best decision. Data tries to validate or um, to check those hunches um, and lead you to maybe um, a understanding what the likelihood of, of success or failure is or the level of risk. And then are, are we willing to tolerate that level of, of, of risk? Yes. Um, I'll, I'll use just an example with us. Um, the league was telling us build a 20,000 seat stadium. 20, 21,000. That's what some of the recent ones had been at that point. We were drawing 26,000, 27,000, 30,000 at Nippert. Wow. And if you if you go down to 20,000, you really have to increase prices. Huh. Because think about it, the the amount of you're, you're trying to get money to run the team. We don't get that national revenue that the NFL or the NBA gets. We have to run on our own fuel. And so, if you're trying to get the same amount of money from fewer seats, by math, you have to raise prices. Mm-hmm. But then that's not – that's not um, our brand is being family-friendly and inclusive. Interesting. Interesting. And so we're going to price families out. People who had been watching us at Nipper weren't going to be able to afford to come to the oh, new stadium. Wow. Yeah. So here they've, they've helped create the club. They've, they've birthed the club with their support. And now they can't even come because the prices are so high. That's not who we are. So we decided we we're going to build – just effectively a 26,000 capacity stadium. But the the increase from 21,000 to 26,000 was $50 million. It's effectively $10 million every thousand seats. So now all of a sudden I got to go to the owners. And I, 10 million every thousand seats. seats. So extra 5,000 so seats is an extra $50 million. So is that 10,000 bucks a seat? Is that what that is? Is that what that math is? Sounds right. Yeah. I'll come back to that in a moment. Yeah. That's why I'm intrigued with this. So keep keep going. So so the, the the point was, I had to look then at the data to go. Okay, if we have twenty six thousand capacity, then what are the prices, and how does that compare to the prices at Nippert, and will people come? For increased prices, not exorbitantly increased, which is what you have to do if it's at 21, to 26. So what effectively what I'm asking is, can I sell out a 26,000-seat stadium at these prices that will deliver this much money, which over time will help us pay off the $50 because we privately financed the stadium. When you walk into TQL Stadium, we it's private, private ownership, private dollars. We borrowed some money too. But um, at the end of the day – I had enough from the data and the business model that we set up for the stadium to give us a level of confidence that the right decision was to build the bigger stadium. To be fair, I your then— Your stadium was $50 million? No, the extra 5000 okay. I was going to say, seats. if your stadium is $50 million, I'm really feeling like a loser no. here because I'm looking at a $25 million building that holds 1,400 people. Yeah. No. Was, construction prices are it's, ridiculous. It's, it's, it's over two hundred and fifty million. Okay, okay good. Not, not but but what I'm saying is that additional five thousand seats was yes. an additional fifty million. Got so it. fifty added, and I had to decide whether or not that was the right plan to have a bigger stadium. We've sold out all but two games this year, um, and the two we didn't sell out were over twenty five thousand. So at the end of the day, we made the right decision, but. That was a pretty expensive decision I had to make. Yes, and and with Carl Linder's support, we 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 looked at the data and projected and came to the conclusion that that was um, the right. But it wasn't risk free. That's what I want to come back to. There was still we're making our best judgment. It may or may not be the right one. Yeah, data is really good. That's a fresh word for me. I I. I I know data, obviously. It's it's important. When I say fresh, I'm saying it's fresh in relationship to the the vision and the aggressive move discussion slash arena. You know, oftentimes, those of us who like playing in those sectors, 
or gusto. Go for it. Whatever your heart tells you, you know, whatever, just go. You know, if you have the vision, God will provide or all this kind of stuff. And a lot of that stuff just comes from spiritual immaturity or at least financial uh, immaturity. I you think know, that's the right word. Oh, yeah, I think I think the the data is really interesting. I, I, it's interesting to say if I'm going to make this big move, what does the data say? Even the data, if I'm going to take a big move by becoming vice president of sales in a company, does the data say that I can manage other salesperson people, or does the data say I can get people to buy product? You know, what does the data it's, say? Well, I would offer in in, yeah. in business, that is, um, and I'll just speak for our experience, you, you promote people based on performance and, and effectively the, the merits of their performance results. But usually it's based on data that they delivered results. Yeah. To use your example, sales. You were very effective at selling tickets or selling sponsorships or the like. So you performed, but there may be nothing in your background that has prepared you to manage people and to be an effective manager, to be an effective leader. And so now we've put you in a role where we've projected you in because you were effective at doing one thing and you sort of have to continue to do that. But now you have this bigger responsibility of leading people. And so we are creating inside FC Cincinnati, what we're referring to as SEC University, and it's a whole curriculum, leadership and management curriculum, that our highest performers are going to receive professional training on m- managing, leadership, um, use of data, yep. uh, and other things so that they feel that they can continue to grow along their purpose, their life's purpose, in FC Cincinnati. Right. I don't want them to feel like they've leveled out. Yeah. And in order to grow, they got to go somewhere else. I want them to be the future leaders of SC Cincinnati. Right. So we're creating this university to make sure we have the best managers because my experience, and I, I feel quite confident about this, people join companies and they quit bosses. Wow. So if you have a bad manager, your boss is bad. You may think the company's great, but you are unhappy and you are leaving. And so we need to make sure our managers are the best managers helping our people grow in an alignment with our values to continue to find their purpose. And we want them to have an aligned ambition. And that's what we call it, aligned ambition. We want people, um, people that pursue excellence don't like mediocrity. And people who like mediocrity don't like people pursuing excellence. Yeah, that's for sure. And so we want people pursuing excellence. And we think this FCC university is going to help fulfill their ambitions for themselves. And other people who maybe aren't quite there yet will see this these high performers in this university and go, I want to experience that. Okay, well, then we have managers saying, this is how you get that opportunity. Right. And the people who are at the bottom will feel very uncomfortable and we'll return them to the marketplace and they'll find their calling somewhere else. Today's episode is brought to you by AG1. I gave AG1 a try because I was feeling a bit sluggish, not confident I was getting all the nutrients that I felt that I needed, and I thought, maybe this is an easy solution. So I drink AG1 in the morning. I love doing the morning. I do it on an empty stomach. It forces me to get 12 ounces of water into my system. I love doing something proactive and aggressive to make me feel better and at least give me peace of mind. AG1 is designed with this kind of ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. Each scoop has 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients of the highest quality. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. So go to drinkag1.com slash aggressive life. That's drinkag1.com slash aggressive life to take control of your health. Check it out. Big news, pre-sales, 
for the next two books in the Five Marks of a Man library are open right now. It's almost like we could say the Five Marks of a Man trilogy. Almost. Yeah, there's like almost. Lord of the Rings trilogy, and then there's the Five Marks. Trilogy. Five Marks of trilogy. <laughs> yeah, uh, not quite the same, <laughs> the same writing quality, but but close. Close, very close. Close. Very close. So this is includes a repackaged edition of the original, along with updated artwork and a new preface, and an all-new tactical guide designed to be used with a group of like-minded dudes giving you challenges, prompts, discussion questions to work the marks into your life. Take my word for it, this isn't your grandmother's fill-in-the-blank guide. It's unlike anything you may have experienced before in written form. Pre-order either book, and you'll get access to a limited edition Five Marks poster. Get all the details and claim your poster over at bryantome.com slash Five mark. That's bryantome.com slash five marks. Now, back to the show. I say all the time that that the aggressive life is not a faith podcast. Uh, meaning like we're not here to build people's faith. It, it ends up happening, but that's that's really not the the point of it. And yet, nonetheless, when I interview person after person who just makes the cut of somebody who's aggressive, they tend to be oftentimes are a person of faith. You, you know, you're a person of faith. We share the same Christian faith. You're Catholic. I'm a Protestant. We serve the same, same God. And I think it's because whenever you're going to be making a strong move, and you're a person of faith, you learn to live with the comfort of the X factor, the unknown. There is some, even if the data points to it, 100%. There, there's some factor you don't know. You don't know what's behind X squared. You know, <laughs> you just don't know. And I think that we need to embrace, There's we're never going to data our way to comfort. And at the same time, I think there's some of us who don't lean into enough on the data to make us feel good about the plans before us. Sure. To be a responsible leader, I would offer that the best leader, you have both. You have faith, but you have a willingness to explore the data and see what the data says to help make sure you're, you're fact-checking right. or, or, or in order to make the wisest decision. Here's my point. God gives us the ability to see the data. Yeah. God gives us the ability. So why not That's use good. it? What it, it so for, for for me that's how they come together. I remember hearing uh, Colin Powell speak. Colin Powell, the great general for the army, head of the head of the combined joint forces at one point, Secretary of State, <clears throat> and he spoke. Uh, this is before he was Secretary of State, and he was talking about decision making. He said, M "So many commanders, they want." all the data before they make their decision. And he said, the truth of the matter is, if by the time you get 70% of the data, you haven't moved, you're too late. Yes. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's, that's strong. So stay on that. Yeah. Part of our business plan was we, we saw what was gonna happen to soccer in this country. And it's gonna continue to grow with the World Cup uh, coming to the United States, Canada, Mexico in 2026. 20, and part of our, and we knew the World Cup, when we started, there was discussion of the World Cup coming back to the U.S. In, in 2026, I didn't know Yes. That. Okay. So the reason why I'm sharing that, our business plan, we know we were seeing something about the future of soccer in this country before others. And our feeling was Major League Soccer was not going to say, well, we can't have a great league without Cincinnati. They might feel that way about Nashville, Charlotte, San Diego, Vegas, Detroit, you know, the, these other bigger cities in sexy, America. Yeah, there's much sexy, more, right. more sexy brands. And so we were going to, we were going to, we were out ahead of everyone and we were going to force them to take Cincinnati. We were outperforming every MLS team except for Atlanta. So you have to take Cincinnati. And, 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 and so my point is, back to the 70%, if we had waited till the data was more clear, that's when Nashville got into the act. That's uh, when Charlotte got in. That's when these other cities got in. Well, guess what? We were already in at that point. Fascinating. 
So we moved wow. without full clarity of wow. data, but the data gave us enough confidence that this was the right move to make. Because you're not going to beat in a in a straight up fight. You're not going to beat the sexy young Charlottes in Nashville. Correct. But because you moved on seventy percent of the data, or before seventy percent, you you got that's wow, that's fantastic. And the and that worked. And I would say just in because we're talking a little bit about faith. Yeah. Carl uh, Lindner and I speak of. If you look at the FC Carl's Cincinnati story. very strong believer, uh, like very, enormously. very, very, yeah. sometimes annoyingly strong. Um, <laughs> his, 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 I, I would say admiringly, and is he admiringly is, strong. Is Carl hears this, he knows what I'm talking about. He's a, good, he's a great man. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> if you look at the story of FC Cincinnati, where we started in with my legal pad, and then he and I connected, and a, and a few months later, we start the team. The first year, we make the playoffs. We sell out 35,000 people to Crystal Palace. Um, I wrote the marketing plan based on Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point. Hmm. Great, great read. And literally, that was the marketing plan. We tipped our very first year against Crystal Palace. The second year, we beat— uh, Wait, hold on. What's Crystal Palace? Uh, English Premier League team. Okay, good. B- biggest I league thought you were talking about Robert Schul or something, yeah, Crystal no. Palace. And, wait, well, you're in the televangelist, this, yeah. b- televangelist no. gig? Okay, keep no. going. So um, the second year, we beat the Columbus Crew. We beat Chicago Fire. We beat Miami in the Open Cup. Again, in front of 30,000 people every, every match. Um, the next year, we go 23 games in a row unbeaten. We win our first trophy. We get the Major League Soccer bid. The league makes us come in the next year. They they demand the stadium to be downtown, which was the right place, but seemed politically absolutely Im, 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 impossible. Um, and yet we overcame all those obstacles. Then there was a global pandemic, and the team was able to survive the global pandemic. We survived it. We built a stadium during the pandemic. It's it's um, we opened it in twenty one. We our stadium's been named the best soccer stadium in the world right here in Cincinnati. Really? Wow. We beat out Wembley, which is the the home of English soccer um, in London, um, and now we're the f- first. We're the best team in Major League Soccer. We're very number one in the standings. If you were to look at our story and what has happened over eight years, Carl Lindner would say that that is the best sign of divine providence. Divine province. We have been so blessed. Our story is so improbable that there has to be a level. Our faith says there has to be a level of divine providence where God's blessed us to pull this off as a legacy investment for our city, for our region. That's unbelievable. That I'm really rocked by the faith and not waiting for all the data got you in under the wire with other people who compete with you and kill you. That, oh, that's really, man, that's, but even there, it wasn't like you said, well, you know, I, 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 I feel it. So we're going to go for it. There was, there was a little data. You just got, just got to be ready to move. That's really strong to go back to the stadium. I remember in Cincinnati, that was very controversial. We had uh, funded a major league baseball stadium, funded a NFL stadium. Neither team was doing anything to excite the population base. All of us as a a resident of Cincinnati had higher taxes for it. And then you come along and all of us are going, what, 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 what? You got Nippert that's not being used. You're filling that thing up. Come on, you can tell me. Did did you tell Major League Soccer to tell everybody else that it was a requirement just so you could get your own stadium? Come on, come on, Jeff Bird. No, we we liked Nippert quite a bit. It you was did. a proven home. Yeah. And we worked, talked to people in the legislature, of course, the president of the university. Uh, was there a way to make it happen? Hmm. Uh, natural grass. I mean, is there a way to make it happen? But because these expansion bids were on their terms, not on our terms. They were on their terms. And the league believed in soccer-specific stadiums in the urban core. Now, maybe they make an exception for Atlanta, which plays in an NFL stadium, which they had just done. Maybe they make an exception, but they're not going to make an exception for Cincinnati. And so 
we were competing with Sacramento, and Sacramento had been in the USL, the minor leagues, for a number of years. They were the the, the lead dog, 11,000 every game, selling out their minor league stadium. And everyone presumed that, it, that Sacramento was going to get it. And so when uh, the commissioner said uh, in January of 15, hey, Carl and Jeff, we, you know, we, we love you. We love Cincinnati. Here's the thing. We want you to play next year, and you have to build the stadium down in, near over the Rhine. I mean, oh, it wasn't you know. just in Cincinnati proper. It was no, because we had a no, we, we had a plan for Oakley right here in Oakley, huh. um, and um, no, they wanted it because we had taken the commissioner on a tour, and he really was excited by over the Rhine. He called it the the Brooklyn of Cincinnati, hmm. and the, with the architecture and the history and just yeah. the vibe and over the Rhine. And he said that's where the stadium needs to go, and so. Hmm. We had an option. We could say, no, we're not going to do that. And he could pick Sacramento. That was the bet. That was the risk. Or we can say, you know what? Fine. We'll, we'll, we'll do it. And he gave us you know, some months to pull it off. And yeah, as you noted in the intro, I went door to door in the West End to right. try to reassure people in the neighborhood. who Change had been bad for the West End. And I think you have to meet a, a, a good <laughs> leader think? meets people where they are, oh my meets gosh. people where they are. And, and, and so I went door to door like I, an old Paul would do and knocked on their doors. They're like, you're the soccer guy who's trying to, you know, kick me out of my house. I'm like, no, no, we're not building the stadium on top of your house. You're going to be fine. You know, but we do want to come to the neighborhood and we want to be a catalyst for positive change. And we ultimately did a community benefits agreement, a legally binding agreement where the commitments that I was making, I put in a legal document. And I'm proud to say that, uh, you know, five years in, we've exceeded every single requirement. We are now expanding um, with some apartments and a hotel and some other things uh, around our stadium. We had a unanimous vote at the West End Community Council. Let's be honest, in politics, there aren't too many unanimous these days. Right. And and the Community Council was unanimous. Why is that? we've earned trust and that was the thing i promised we're going to earn your trust yeah when you were looking at the west end i did a oh boy this should be interesting because as you may remember for people who don't live in cincinnati we started or funded actually a thing called CityLink, 15 million dollar yes. project that we did uh pulling together different nonprofits to help with the working poor and <laughs> it used to those things all used to be an over the rhine and then over the rhine a lack of a better word and a very offensive word started getting gentrified. <clears throat> and so we went to the West end and Oh my gosh, it was, it was horrible, like horrible, horrible uh, uh, opposition and Cincinnati council voting. I think it was 11 to one that we couldn't go there, even though no one asked you, <laughs> you remember that? I do. Oh gosh. I, someday I'll like just, Talk about the crappy things Cincinnati, some of those councilmen said to us privately, like, you got to be freaking kidding me. And then they all got voted out at the next election. All the ones that said no, it was great. But anyway. <laughs> the, uh, and now we work with CityLink. They train a lot of the chefs who work in the stadium. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful, it's a wonderful thing. But when you were looking at the West Side, I thought, oh, man, this is a whole, whole, whole different level. And uh, you got it done. But someone has to put their flag in the ground and say, we're going to be a catalyst for positive change. Yes. And and professional sports teams have, I believe, an obligation to what I say is lead, inspire, and unite. Lead, inspire, and unite. People give us their passion. They give us their money. They give us their hopes. We represent the city. When our sports teams are doing well, we represent with pride. And we were going to do that uh, in the West End. Oh, it's so good. All right. Now, I, this is this is this is really great, brother. Thank you. This is seriously making me better and making us better. Thank you. But I know the aggressive life audience can get really, really upset if we don't talk a little bit of soccer. We got we got to do that a little bit. First of all, biggest soccer news in America is messy. He played at your stadium a couple few weeks ago. Had just like an unbelievable kick to end the thing. Ridiculous. What is the deal on Messi? By the way, you NHL fans, this is not Mark Messier. No, he he actually retired a while ago. Messi. What's his deal? And, and treat us like you're like me who knows very little other than he had an amazing game in Cincinnati. Well, he's the most popular athlete in the world. Maybe the most uh, uh, 
popular person, but certainly the most popular athlete, is an indication of that. Think of the top 10 athletes in the United States in terms of popularity. Okay. Um, Steph Curry, Patrick Mahomes, LeBron, Tom Brady. Aaron, um, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Oh, no, not him. He's gone now. But Go, you know, you, going, yeah. Name the top 10. <laughs> name the top 10. Number of uh, followers on Instagram or on Twitter. And if you add the top 10 athletes in the United States up, Messi has more followers than all of them combined. Wow. He's on a different level. He's the most recognizable athlete in the world. And and he is probably the the GOAT, the probably the, the greatest soccer player ever. Just was the best player at the World Cup. Obviously the best players in the world compete with their countries to win the World Cup. And Argentina won. He was named the best player in the tournament at the age of 36. So he's he's certainly uh, a little bit up there in his age, but still playing at the top of his game. And so he comes to Miami. He could have, you know, most of the best players in the world are playing in Europe, to be fair. And he uh, left Europe to because he felt his calling was to was to help boost soccer in in the biggest part of the world where it's not the number one sport, and that's here in the United States. Well, didn't he? Turned down an offer to play for the Saudis for like 4X what he's getting in the, or something like More that? More than 4X. Really? Maybe 10X. 10X. So why did he do that? Just because he I think he to felt his, I think or? he felt his calling to, uh. to boost soccer in the United States. It, obviously, he's in Miami. It's the gateway to South America. He's from Argentina. I think he's you know quite comfortable there, quite happy. Um, and it's exciting. It's very exciting. And it was a to be fair that it was a wonderful night in Cincinnati. It was a phenomenal game. Our team played extraordinarily well, and Messi made two plays that at, at the end of the day beat us. Two amazing plays. Two amazing plays. Um, the, the example I use, people talk about, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. Boy, they could put a ball forty yards down the field on a dime, and Messi does that with his feet. He he kicked two balls that if they were an inch, one inch off, Miami doesn't score the two goals. Wow. They were inch perfect, wow. which led to two goals, and he does it with his feet. That's unbelievable. Makes so, it exciting. So you and all the other owners, when he came to the MLS, you all had to say, hey, this we, we all win here. Of course. I would think. Of course. Um, our games are on Apple TV. Uh, because younger people are streaming, and because we're such an international sport, anyone around the world can sign up for MLS Pass on Apple. Hmm. You get it. Like, you have an iPad, you have a computer, you're in any country of the world, and you want to watch Messi, the greatest, play in the United States, you just go to Apple TV, uh, Apple, download MLS uh, Pass, you watch the games. As opposed to if we were on CBS or if we were on um, Fox or ESPN, those are largely just American broadcast platforms. Apple's international. Here's the point. The day that Messi signed – the day that Messi played his first game for Miami, over a million people worldwide signed up to get the MLS pass on Apple. My (laughs) gosh. Wow. And that's obviously good for all the owners of Major League Soccer. Gosh, and good for Apple. Of course. (laughs) That's unbelievable. Sheesh. All right. Let's do a little lightning round real quick. Like, we only got a few minutes left. So these are like, Jeff, like, everything is said is great. But it's like, bam, bam, bam. Like, lightning. Here we go. Favorite food at TQL Stadium? Skyline. Favorite part of attending an FC game? Uh, watching the Bailey, that's our supporters who are doing the drums and the songs and the smoke and the chants, the whole match standing and rocking. Let's say I've never gotten into soccer. How do I get started? Come to an FC Cincinnati match. Over half the stadium will be people who would describe themselves as not particularly soccer fans. They love the city and they love the experience. People go to movies. People go to the arts. I was at the Aronoff Center the other night seeing MJ. You go because it's wonderful entertainment and it makes you feel good. Hmm. Okay, how about this one? I don't know anything about soccer other than watching if the ball goes into the net. If I want to take my viewing pleasure to the next level, what should I be looking at or what should I be looking for? Largely, the, 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 it, what's, I think, impressive is, is to see the ball moving quickly 
from player to player, they call it one touch, where you know, got, you're effectively moving the ball around the defenders more quickly. The ball is moving more quickly than the defenders um, can uh, can can move. Okay. And and so when you look at the shape of the team, how the team is organized, and with the ability to move the ball quickly, I think it's just it's that makes it very interesting to watch. Okay, let me ask you another question on the same on the same vein. If I'm watching a game, it's zero zero. What am I not seeing that you might be seeing that would tip me off as to whether one team is doing better than the other team or one team is more likely to score than the other team? Is yeah. there any tip-offs? Uh, a common one would be possession of the ball, how, how frequently you have the ball. You, you can't score if you don't have the ball. Um, the other one is, um, which is not necessarily aligned with, um, correlated with possession of the ball, is chances of scoring. So you could be a team that's not always having the ball, but when you, effectively when you get the ball or turn the other team over, you're sort of going lightning fast to goal and you're creating chances. Yeah. One of those two things usually, either you're making great chances for your team, but maybe you're just not kicking it accurately at the end, shooting yeah. it accurately. Maybe their goalkeeper's making great saves, but you're creating great chances. You could be a team that has the ball a lot and never creating great chances. All right, last question. Anything you want to talk about, Jeff? You've, you've answered great questions with great clarity. Is there anything that we're not talking about here that you think we should be talking about or anything you wish I asked you that you didn't get asked? The thing that interests me is just young people. I have three kids that are now all college grads, all starting out their careers. And um, I think the pandemic has changed young people. Obviously, their education was disrupted. The social... Um, education that college um, or high school experiences provide was interrupted. And so I, I think, you know, they sort of took the brunt in many respects. And um, so I, I worry about young people. We have young people coming into FC Cincinnati or in many of our employers um, and, um, you know, their, their mental health needs, spiritual uh, the sense of purpose. Yeah. These are things that I think as a society, as an employers, we need to take a lot of um, uh, uh, interest in and, and, and really care for our people. Dick Vermeil, I heard him speak once uh, recently at Moeller's Sports Tag. Dick Vermeil, of course, was an NFL Hall of Fame coach, won the Super Bowl. Um, and Dick Vermeil said, no one ever gave me their best when they didn't believe I cared about them. Yeah, he's saying that as the head coach, you got to let your make make sure your people know you care, and I, I think younger people are coming into the workplace in a way where where they've um, they've been hurt by yeah. what's happened. There's they've experienced setback, um, and um, so what can we be doing better to help show that we care? And I think that that's something whether you're a spiritual leader, a business leader, a civic leader, a neighbor to young people, but what, what can we do to help them? There's certain things that are always said in America that I just don't believe anymore. Like, this is the most important election of our lifetime. I say it every year. Sorry, I just don't believe it more. No, sorry, it's an important election. But the other one is, this is the most troubled at-risk generation ever. And I believe that one. I th I, in America, at least the America I've known for 57 years, uh, there is, I think there are more pressures and more dysfunctions and more pain in the upcoming youngest generation than any before. It's, it's a tough thing, man. And that's, that's affecting all of us. It affects the, the workforce that we have that affects the culture inside of our workforce. It's affecting mental health, the suicides, all that stuff. It's a, it's a big and difficult thing. It is. And my only point in raising it is not that we're going to solve it here this morning, but just for the people listening, I hope people give that some thought and what can each of us do, each of us, yeah. to provide whether it's a level of care, comfort, um, th intelligence, thought, purpose, or just as simple as caring and being a good neighbor. Amen. Jeff, any advertising you want, someone wants to follow up with you, or FC Cincinnati or anything else, give um, us a shout out. Well, fccincinnati.com. It's our website. Lots of information. We have an app you could um, download on your uh, phone. Um, my email is jeff at fccincinnati.com, J-E-F-F, -F, at FC Frank Charlie or football club 
the name of the city, Cincinnati.com. And I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You you brought a lot of help to a lot of people, including myself. I need it. I'm, I'm seriously going to need to think about this. Here's my final salve at everybody. Hey, you've heard this before. I'll say it again. This is not the interesting thoughts life. It's the aggressive life. This is not the nice things God says life. This is the aggressive life. I hope there was something here that you're going to put into practice. Me? What I'm going to put to practice, I'm going to take this uh, this word data. I'm going to I'm going to try to dig into data and some of the decisions or things I think I'm supposed to aggressively do. But I've got to wrestle more with the data. I'm not saying I need 100. percent I'm not even saying I need 70. percent But I, I I need to lean more into that. So that that's for me. Hope you got yours. Go do it. God's given you life to move someplace. Let's get moving. We'll see you next time on the Aggressive Life. Thanks for joining us on this journey toward aggressive living. Find more resources, articles, past episodes, and live events over at bryantome.com. Pre-orders for my new books, a repackaged edition of The Five Marks of a Man, and a brand new Five Marks of a Man tactical guide are open right now on Amazon. If you haven't yet, leave this podcast a rating and review. It really helps get the show in front of new listeners. And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram at Brian Tome. The Aggressive Life is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.